It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornchain. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchain. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And I'm so excited that you're tuning in today. Let me just give you a message I think is a great way to start off 2021 with. I hope you had a wonderful new year celebration. And here we are into 2021. And I felt that, you know what, let me just uh, kick us off, I believe, in in the right way with a, a, a perfect study of God's holy word in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Peter chapter 4. And what I want to title today is Patience in Tribulation, because I think that what we tend to do is have this very optimistic outlook that everything that was troublesome is now behind us. And and therefore, as we look forward now into 2021 here, that we may have a bit of illusion and maybe this perspective that, that now it's all rainbows and butterflies that's ahead of us. And what I would like to challenge you with is I believe that our faith is going to be tested in many ways this year. Now, I, I don't say that to discourage you, but rather to just put our eyes back on the the reality of the situation that we face and some of the trials that lie ahead of us here in these United States of America and around the world. We're certainly not out of the woods yet, and there's a lot of work to be done, especially in the church, in our local communities. We can even back up and, and start right there in our homes. There's a lot of work to be done. We need to be faithful witnesses in every sphere of influence the Lord has given to us. So let's look at this very closely because we need some patience in the midst of tribulation, that there will be challenging days ahead, and therefore we have to keep a better perspective, uh, keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, in the midst of adversity. And sometimes we ask those questions Maybe it's more frequently for me, perhaps, than it is for you, of why bad things seem to happen to good Christians, right? Why do Christians suffer? And as a pastor, you might imagine that as we finished 2020, there were a number of funerals, there were a number of counseling sessions, even Christians going through depression in very difficult circumstances. And as pastors were on the front lines of that, many counselors can attest to this, that 2020 was a very challenging year. And many of those problems didn't go away just because the calendar date changed. So we need some patience through tribulation. And the only way to do that is when we understand why and how God works in the midst of our struggles. And I believe that Romans chapter 12 and 1 Peter 4, in fact, the whole book of 1 Peter, really are written to help us understand how God works in these circumstances. Let me help you by just reading a little bit more context here of Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. These are wonderful instructions for us as we now are operating in a new year. Listen to this. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. 
And do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, let's just put it, uh, well, let's focus here in verse 12. I just needed to put all of it in proper context for you of these wonderful set of instructions that are timeless. They were as applicable then as they are now. These are the words of the Holy Word of God after all. So here on verse 12, let's focus on this for just a moment. We are to rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, and to continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, in times of testing, the important question is not, how can I get out of this? That's our default. That's what we do in the flesh. We immediately want to vacate a circumstance that may be challenging for us, that may... uh, maybe stretch us even and put us through from some of the refiner's fire. If we put our hand to a hot stove, our natural reaction in the flesh is to get away from that as quickly as possible. But what we need to understand here is that the Lord even purposes adversity for his glorious work. And so rather than always asking, how can I get out of this? We need to be asking, what can I get out of this? And let me put your eyes back to James chapter one, verses two to four. Listen to this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, God is at work to build your faith, and He alone is in control of your circumstances. It's been said, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. I think there's a simple fact here is that no one is immune from pain and suffering in this life. And not all Christians seem to suffer the same degree as others do. I mean, we all experience pain and hardship to some extent, and it's true of both Christians and unbelievers that we all seem to experience hardship. Now, it does feel like Christians seem to be with a giant bullseye on their back from time to time, doesn't it? And there we're using the the F-E-E-L word, we feel a lot, and we perceive a certain way about certain things. In fact, there was a Far Side comic many years ago that had these two deer standing side by side, and, and one of the deer looks over to the other, and he notices that there's a giant bullseye on the side of his his rib cage there, and he says, a bummer of a birthmark, Ernie. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think about that from how we may perceive ourselves as Christians, that there is a giant target on us, and indeed, as we live faithfully, Faithfully to Jesus Christ. We are in opposition to this present darkness. Therefore, we need to expect adversity. But when adversity comes, when tribulation happens, not if it happens, but when it happens, we need to have the right perspective about it. A wise man once observed that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. In fact, Warren Wearsby said, our attitude directly affects our altitude. Now, that means we have to block out the negative. There is so much negative hitting us right now by way of media and and perhaps chatter in your family circles and all of your spheres of influence. You have to be responsible then 
to block out the things that are not of God. You need to keep your eyes on him in the midst of this. This is very difficult to do, and it takes discipline to do this. This is your responsibility. Your ability in how you respond is imperative here. You can respond with negativity or you can respond with positivity. And the positivity, I believe, comes by knowing the Word of God, knowing what is true, knowing how God sees every situation and that He has purposed it and planned it Even those little nuances, maybe the little negative things, the little uh, challenging things that may come across your path. Yes, even that flat tire is used by God. There is always a reason for what he does. It's how we assess the situation, I believe, where we put our focus on certain things. We'll tend to see what we're looking for. Now, if I had a, an opportunity to, to see you face-to-face as you're listening to this, I wish I could do this uh, face-to-face with you, but uh, if there was a glass that I could put right in front of you, and, and you've seen these illustrations, someone will fill that glass half full with water. And, and then the assessment goes, what kind of personality are you? Are you a half full kind of person, or if, are you a glass half empty kind of person? And, and the truth is, is when you examine that, Our eyes see a glass that is half full or half empty of H2O. And what we fail to see is the fact that the glass is 100% full. It's always full. It has O2 and H2O in that half full equation or or analogy there of water being half full in that glass. The glass is 100% full. It's a matter of knowing that there's an unseen reality that's right in front of us. And far too often we allow our attitude to distort the truth. I read this fascinating research study that was done by Vicki Medvek, who was a professor at Northwestern University, and she studied the Olympic medalist and discovered that the bronze medalists were the happiest of the medal winners. And you think, well, how is that possible? I mean, you've got a gold medal winner, you've got a silver medal winner, and now you've got the bronze medalist. And and the bronze medalist is technically the happiest? Yes, they are. Why? Because the gold medalist is assessing their situation, maybe not in the moment, but certainly later on, is that they've reached the pinnacle of their existence up to that point. They have achieved the highest that they can achieve. And the only way to, to, to come back again might be to repeat, and if they don't live up to that same accomplishment, then they're actually falling short and less of an athlete than they were before. And so there's a high risk of failure. The silver medalist is complaining because they were that close to winning gold, but the bronze medal winner is just happy that they got on the podium, right? I mean, they're just so happy that, hey, I, I made it, and they they tend to be the happiest of the group. So your focus dramatically affects your reality, and how we feel isn't always determined by objective circumstances, okay? I mean, we tend to feel a certain way, and that makes our reality. Perception then drives reality. So your internal attitudes are more important than than your external circumstances. Now, John Milton said it best, the mind is its own place. It in itself can make a heaven out of hell or a hell out of heaven. So all of us seem to know those kind of people, don't we? we? We know those kind of individuals that seem to be eternally the pessimist or those who are eternally the optimist. Well, we tend to see what we're looking for, and there seems to be two types of people in the church. There are the complainers and the worshipers, and the complainers always seem to find something to complain about, while the worshipers will always seem to find something to praise God about. So if you, you know, you got to make a decision here. I mean, if you decide you don't like somebody, think about this. As a father, 
I, you know, I'm going through that. I've got daughters, and they're the suitors who are trying to court my daughters. And as a as a dad who's concerned about the well-being of his daughters, you know, if that young suitor comes in and I don't like something about him, tend I have a tendency probably to see everything I don't like about that person, right? I mean, if they tie their shoes a certain way, you know, they dress a certain way, the belt's half hanging down, but you know, around their thigh or something, you know, I'm going to size them up, and immediately they're just they're not uh, the the proper suitor for my daughter, right? I mean, everything's going to be wrong about them. And, and on the opposite end of that spectrum is if my daughter's head or over heels for somebody, she's not going to see any of their faults at all, even if they're glaring and a huge red flag. So again, we, we can be uh, we can be one end of the spectrum or the other, and we tend to do that. We're one extreme or the other. We need to truly examine the situation through through the proper lens of Scripture. And these we call premeditated cognitive commitments. That when you know what is truth and you're examining the situation by the proper lens of that which is found in Scripture, you can examine each situation properly, even adversity. I mean, a worshiper has to make a predecision to look for something to praise God about, even in the most dire of circumstances. Let me take you to Acts 16 for a moment. In Acts chapter 16, verses 22 to 24, we get this uh, very interesting situation that arises here because Paul and Silas had been placed in prison in Philippi. They were doing what God had instructed them to do. Paul, by the power of God, cast a demon out of a young fortune teller, and her masters don't like it because she loses the ability to predict the future, so they have Paul and Silas arrested. Okay, and here's what happens, Acts 16, 22-24. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, I've had some bad days before, but nothing quite like that. I mean, these guys, their backs are bleeding from being beaten. They're black and blue all over from top to bottom. And now they're placed in the maximum security cell, put in stocks. It just doesn't get much worse than that. And then we read, around midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining about their circumstances. Well, that's not what it says at all, actually. I was just uh, trying to see if you're listening. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 25 says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. You see, they, they made an attitude, they had an attitude that was properly aligned. This is an alignment exercise to worship God even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of persecution and tribulation. They made a decision because they were in relationship with Almighty God to worship Him despite their circumstances. And that is when your worship reaches an all new pinnacle of victory. Because if you can worship God in the midst of sorrows, this is where it is real. This is where your faith has been tested and found victorious because you are able to keep your eyes on the prize. You know who is ultimately in control of this situation. Now, Man's Search for Meaning, this is a powerful book by Viktor Frankl. And in it, he describes some interesting circumstances, heartbreaking circumstances. As a Holocaust survivor, he wrote about all of his experiences in the Nazi concentration camps. Everything had been taken from him and all the other prisoners. They were stripped of their clothing, 
their pictures, their personal belongings. They even took away their names and gave them numbers. In fact, Frankel was number 119,104. And Frankel said, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. And I'm absolutely convinced that one of the most important choices you can make every day is your attitude. And prayer is a way to stay positive in negative circumstances. It's not a placebo. It's reality. No matter how bad things get, as a follower of Christ, I have eternity in heaven to look forward to. So your pain is real, but so is heaven. And the good news is that reality is temporary. This present circumstance is temporary. But our time with Lord, it's forever. Our time with God is forever. So the key is focusing on the right reality. And when we can worship in the midst of the worst of circumstances, that, my friend, is true victory. Now, I found a a fascinating statistic. Listen to this. Research indicates that the average person talks to himself or herself 50,000 times a day. And you're thinking, yeah, that all happened around 1230 this morning. I couldn't shut my brain down. Uh, Yeah, we talk to ourselves a lot. Any, any idea what kind of percentage we're talking about of how much of that is negative? 80%. We say negative things to ourselves all the time. We're like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. And doggone it, people don't like me. Right? I mean, we're our own worst critics. And here's what happens. We let what's wrong with us keep us from truly worshiping God. We're focused on the wrong reality. That's why we need some premeditated, cognitive commitments. We tend to see what we're looking for. And this is where Paul gives us some powerful premeditated cognitive commitments. You ready for this? This is a list of eight of them. And this is what you got to hold fast to in the midst of persecution. Philippians chapter four, verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue And if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You see, prayer is a premeditated cognitive commitment, and it's based on the ultimate reality that God is in total control, even when it feels like things are spiraling into chaos. And and this is where we need to break the chains. The circumstances you complain about become the very chains that imprison you. It was prayer and worship that set Paul and Silas free physically, and it's worship that's going to set you free emotionally and spiritually. Prayer and worship set off a chain reaction. I mean, the prison doors flew open and the chains were broken free. So are there circumstances in your life right now that are imprisoning you? Have you have you made such a list of complaints about someone or something that you can't even see anything else? All you see is the negative about that situation. These things become chains in your mind. If you're worried about a, a broken relationship, if, if someone's gossiping about you, if you've offended somebody or maybe you or yourself are offended, all of these things become prisons, chains that bind you from worshiping in the fullness that you are capable of worshiping in. Because all you're doing is denying yourself and ultimately you're denying God of the joy of worshiping Him. Right, And we read 
of this in Revelation, of how our prayers, our worship unto him, go before him in the urns, and the sweet aroma that comes from those are to his nostrils. He will even use those as weapons against the enemy. So don't don't deny him worship. Don't deny him prayer. These are critical to keep you in proper alignment. So let me take you even further here. I mean, we need to have an assignment on a daily basis, I believe, an attitude of gratitude. This is a spiritual discipline. You look to Psalm 103, 2 to 5, we read, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Oh, that is an attitude of gratitude. That is a worshipful spirit even in the midst of adversity. If you ever get frustrated that all those heathens around you appear to be winning while you're struggling, just go back and read Psalm 73, and that will quickly restore your focus. In other words of the great hymn, count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. I mean, your focus will greatly impact your reality. Now, let me just in brief here take you to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to pick this up again next week as we continue in this vein of thought. But in 1 Peter chapter 4, it talks about the suffering Christian for a moment. Let's read it. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 16. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, and when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. You see, 1 Peter was written to early first century Christians who were going through great trials. I mean, they were being persecuted constantly. And so this whole book of 1 Peter deals with either directly or indirectly with this idea of suffering and how we navigate that. And the Apostle Peter had already mentioned suffering at the opening of his letter. Go back to 1 Peter 1, 6-7. It says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he exhorts his readers to be alert and watch as they pray. So here in verses 12 to 16 of 1 Peter 4, we're being challenged to keep three important facts in mind, and that is sanctified suffering. They all pertain to sanctified suffering, and that's where we're going to pick up next week as we look at the the very facts here that suffering is guaranteed by God in verse 12. We need not be astonished by that reality. That is a fact. If you are in Jesus Christ, this uh, this is going to hurt. It's, it's, a, it's a lifelong commitment to Jesus Christ. If you're in allegiance to him, it's tough. It's tough to stand for the Lord. 
Let's not fool ourselves. It's tough to stand for him amongst family members who are critics, amongst your peers and colleagues who may come against you. And then you want to clam up and just fade into the, to the back of the room and not talk about Jesus, not represent him well. Our Lord reminds us that we will be persecuted because he was persecuted in John 15, 20. And indeed, if we want to live godly lives, we can expect trials to come, according to 2 Timothy 3, 12. So we're to embrace for this. We're to embrace it, welcome it, and acknowledge the fact that God is using this. It's sharpening us. It's strengthening our spiritual muscles. And God loves you so much that he puts you purposefully into adversity. You're thinking, that doesn't sound very loving. Indeed it is. And that's what we're going to look at next week. I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, and I want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth today. I hope this broadcast has helped you in some way, maybe as you're just navigating some of the struggles that you're going through, and the best is yet to come. We have so much more to cover in 1 Peter chapter 4 next week. If you enjoyed this message and you're looking for a fellowship to go deeper into God's Word together with others, Come and check us out at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. You can learn more at calvaryfountain.com, and you'll find that services are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays, but we have gatherings all throughout the week. And in fact, this particular broadcast is even there at calvaryfountain.com. You can listen to it again, share it with your friends and family, find out what's going on there. We'd love to study God's Word with you. God bless you, my friends. Take care.